Welcome to a very special edition of the Managing Madrid podcast. This is your host, Kian Sobani. On this particular episode, we are talking about Morbo. So how this works is we have a Patreon, and you should know that by now, patreon.com slash managingmadrid. It's where you go to pledge to support the show, get different rewards. You get access to bonus shows, uh, post-game coverage. You get access to our Loan Tracker podcast. You get guaranteed responses to your questions. If you pledge a certain amount, you can actually appear on the show. You can also request myself, Kian Sobani, to write an article of your choice. And one of our patrons who does pledge um, a certain amount to to request those articles asked me to write about Morbo. And I thought about it, and, um, and I thought about it some more, and then I realized, why don't I just get the author of Morbo to come on the show? And I, I double-checked with the request and totally was okay with it because he had read this book and this is why he asked me to write more about it. And so really happy to have Phil Ball back on the show for the second time. Um, if you don't know Phil, he wrote more about the story of Spanish football in 2001. He has since written updates about it as needed. He's also written White Storm, 100 Years of Real Madrid, and also An Englishman Abroad, Beckham's Spanish Adventure. That was back in 2004. Uh, he was an ESPN columnist. He sometimes writes for The Guardian and now writes over at Liga Fever with our other good friend Eduardo Alvarez, also a former ESPN columnist. Um, we did have a, f- a couple audio issues in the first five minutes, but we finished, we fixed that. Um, so after about five minutes or so, it, it goes back to normal audio. So just to, just to give you a heads up on that. All right, without further ado, this is the Managing Madrid podcast, bonus edition, bonus edition on Thursday about Morbo. Let's go. Phil Ball, welcome to the show. Hello again. Thank you very much for inviting me. Um, you know, I've like the first time we recorded. I've you know I've been kind of counting down the days before you come back on the show again because uh, the first time we recorded was a ton of fun. We I interviewed you for my book, um, which is still a ways away. But and then that was around the same time. Two things happened. One was the whole Lopetegui fiasco where um, it got leaked that Real Madrid. For signing him, and then Ruby Alice kicked, kicked him out, and then Audrey Zola signing. So we like we got to chat about a bunch of stuff, and um, that was a really fun podcast to record. Yeah, it was it was bizarre because literally just after the recording, you know, everything everything kind of went down, didn't it? It was extraordinary. Yeah, everything uh, happened. Yeah. In hindsight, are you surprised that Lopetegui didn't last too long? Um. Well, yes and no. I mean, I'm not surprised in the sense that that's the real politic of Real Madrid. No, and if he doesn't go right for three or four weeks, the the training goes. But, but you know, given the um, <laughs> given what happened with the national team, I I I, I still think, in a sense, that uh, Lopetegui was hard hard done by. I think that the reaction it was an overreaction. I kind of stick by what I said in that interview with you. I I still think he's a good trainer. I think he circumstances got on top of him. Uh, that doesn't take away from 
from his ability to coach. Uh, I still stick by it. Uh, but yeah, it was, the whole thing was very surprising the way the way it all just unraveled so quickly. Well, there was a bunch of things going against him, and I, I don't know. Like you know, I was almost worried about his mental health after everything was said and done because he he almost turned into this villain in so many people's eyes but for like you know as if it was his fault for disrupting the spanish national team and you know people have different views on it some people think it is was his fault some people think it was real madrid some people think it was rubiales but and then he went through the whole real madrid thing where um i think he got a lot of things wrong he got some things right he had a ton of injuries um he was counting on ronaldo when he signed and then you know the transfer market was what it was and then he kind of leaves. But I wonder if he at all feels vindicated at all watching the team play under Solari because they've almost regressed under like almost every statistical measure. Um, and it hasn't really looked great since he's been gone, to be honest. Uh, I was about to say that. Uh, I think that um, I wrote a long article, you know, on League of Fever about how how really the problem isn't uh, Solari or Lopetegui. It's, it's Perez, you know. Perez, in a sense, is... Uh, you know, has a long has a long history, if you like, of, of of this kind of behavior, but it's kind of getting worse, almost as if the the emperor is finally going mad. You know, and and uh, I think that what Perez is failing to do is to is to surround himself by by the right people who can advise him. You know, I think that the first sign of a the first sign of a person kind of losing it, in a sense, is their inability to delegate. And whereas Perez has been very successful in his business life in that in that respect, he seems to be much less successful uh, in that respect, you know, with regard to his, you know, his stewardship of Real Madrid. And I think that, uh, you know, you, you could see that uh, when you're asking people like Ramos for advice, that's a problem. You know, <laughs> Ramos is the last person you should be asking for advice because Ramos, obviously, and other players have um, have their particular interests within the changing room, from the dressing room. And, uh, he doesn't seem to have, have got anybody there to help him, really. And uh, so he makes these snap decisions when, obviously, the Madrid press gets on top of him, the whole Madrid thing starts up, and uh, he reacts like he does. I think he, he reacted too quickly on with Lepetegui. I think, actually, the team were playing pretty well. Um, but it's, you know, it's very easy for the Real Madrid thing to, to get on top of him. I'm just reading John Toshiak's uh, new uh, autobiography, ghosted autobiography, and I've just been reading the, the Real Madrid chapters with some interest. You know, he says the same thing. He lasted longer both times, but, but of course the, the institution does get on top of you. Uh, whether it gets on top of Solari is another question. Solari, you know, knows the institution better. Um, the whole thing about Isco might 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 also bring him down. You never know. But, but uh, yeah, absolutely, what you say is right. The whole data and the statistics, and the whole performance of the team is is uh, has not improved. In fact, it's got worse, and that just really points the finger to the lack of planning at the top, not to the people who are the easiest to fire, if you like. <laughs> so we we're going to talk about Morbo and. Um... As I mentioned at the top of the show, this was a subject, you know, that was requested by our patron. And I thought about it and and uh, I wanted to ask you first, because this is this is a pretty big subject, one that obviously you wrote a whole book on and, and continued to update, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you almost like a loaded question to get off, off the bat, which is maybe hard to do, but or hard to answer rather. And that is, what is moral? Because it's so hard to define. And, like, where does it originate from, like, historically? 
<laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's difficult to define. That's I kind of spent the early part of the book trying to trying to do that, you know. Because uh, the interesting thing about the word is originally really is that uh, the original idea for the book was called The House Divided because the book was being written for the British market originally, for an English-speaking market. And so we couldn't use A House Divided because we found out that it was a book by Catherine Cookson. <laughs> and so we had to think of something else. And I, I'd come up with this plan B. I said, well, we could use the Spanish word morbo, which had been hanging around quite a lot. You know, I'd been in Spain for 10 years at that by that time. I'd come here in 91. Almost ten years I'd been here, and uh, I was kind of interested in the word, you know, you know, you know the way that you are interested in those things when you you haven't been in a place for thirty or forty years, you know, you, you, your interest starts to drop in it. So I said we could use the word more, but and um, so we went for it, which was a bit of a risk because we were using a Spanish word for the British market, but I liked the word because it. It was difficult to translate. I mean, that's precisely why it was interesting, you know. Uh, I mean, the word me, the, the only synonym you could use for the word is kind of needle, you know, uh, sort of almost a kind of morbid obsession with something else you don't like. But needle seems to me the best word in a sporting context. You know, there's, there's needle between two sides, you know, uh, uh, and perhaps an unhealthy rivalry might be another way of explaining it, you know. And uh, you get, I mean, you have Morbo in all countries, uh, I suppose. Uh, it's not always used in a sporting context. You know, there's Morbo between Manchester United and Liverpool. There's Morbo between Man City and Man United. Of course, there's mm -hmm. Morbo between, between um, uh, you know, Italian sides as well. I mean, obviously, it, it, it does, but there seemed to be something special about it in Spain. And uh, I, I detected that it didn't just mean kind of the needle between two teams because they just don't like each other. I detected the fact that there was a whole sort of historical sociological thing behind it, you know, that, uh, and that it dated back to, you know, the Civil War and before, uh, and that it was almost impossible to clear it up, you know, in, in the sense that <laughs> the Morbo wasn't temporary. It was, you could see that the Morbo was there to stay. It had been there for a long time and, and it was there to stay. And I realized that if I wrote the book and it, and it did okay, that uh, kind of almost 20 years later, I'm talking to you now, that mobile would still exist. And, uh, you know, my point's been proved, of course, because all that mobile I was talking about at the beginning of the millennium when I was writing the book still exists. And so um, it's, it's unsatisfactory to give it a single word, but needle or something would be the, would be the best, I suppose, best way of translating it. Well, and like... It's interesting because there's like rivalries and then there's Morbo. And I think that, like, that's why I think it seems so much more prevalent in Spanish uh, football, but also like in football in general, maybe because there's so much politics in football. So, like, we could talk about, for example, I don't know, I, I'm a huge NBA fan. So, there's, I guess, there's rivalries, but those rivalries, you know, there's, it's, they can be cyclical. They can, they can kind of fade. There's not really that political fuel to it. Um, some stay over time, like the Lakers and Celtics. But then you go to, if you go back to like the Spanish football rivalries, and this this goes back like to the early 1900s, right? Like 1902, when you had essentially three teams: Bilbao, Real Madrid, and Barcelona. Like that Real Madrid Barcelona rivalry was birthed there, and it was it's it's hostile. There's it's it's antagonistic. It's 
And I and I wonder, like, so, like, what almost qualifies as morbo? Because if you go on the internet, some people will tell you that Leganes versus Getafe, this, like, almost completely brand new rivalry, while it's fun, it's probably more fun than we thought it was going to be. Um, it's, I don't know, does it qualify? Does it have that, it doesn't have the political heat of, like, Real Madrid Atletico, Real Madrid Barcelona, Barcelona Espanol. I think that if you're going to, you know, define something as more though, um, as opposed to just rivalry, um, to just rivalry, merely rivalry, yeah, you'd have to you'd have to be looking for for sort of um, socio-cultural, political stuff in the background. You know, I mean, there's a <laughs> there's a whole mutual understanding that Spanish people have of the word. You know, I, I like the way that uh, when something happens during the week. You know, somebody's sacked, for example, or a player's transferred to another side unexpectedly and they're going to turn up and play against your team because they you know, for example, you know, maybe you've had a stop. You know, imagine, imagine if Ronaldo were to return to Madrid, you know, this year to play and playing for Juve, you know, then, you know, the, the, if the, if the, um, the Madrid supporters would be on, on, on learning of this thing, you know, they would kind of do this little action with their hand where they shake their hand a little bit and they say, Oh wow, you know, que morbo, they'd say, que morboso, to use the adjective, you know. That would be, that would be, that would be morbo because, because, uh, it's not, it's not political as such, but the whole thing would just go so deep at the moment that they would consider that morbo. But I, I, I explained in the book that, uh, the most obvious example of morbo outside of Spain is like Rangers and Celtic, you know, where you've got, mm. where you've got that deep sort of religious, politico-religious thing that goes back three or four centuries, you know, and uh, <laughs> it's not easy to just dismiss that kind of thing overnight. You know, it's, it's very difficult to imagine that that mobile will, 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 will somehow stop. I mean, it might not, it might, it might dilute, let's say, you know, if the religious and political tensions, let's say in Scotland, Protestant, Catholic, Protestantism, Catholicism, you could argue that those things have gone down a bit, but that doesn't get reflected particularly on the football pitch. The, the, uh, the derbies are still pretty, you know, uh, let's say partisan, you know. Um, and so that, that, that political aspect, I mean, you know, the thing that Shakiri did, you know, when he was playing, when he was playing the, uh, in the World Cup, where he did that, cross, sorry, the cross for the Albanian side. You know, that that's kind of uh, you could say that's pretty morboso as well. And the consequences that had when he when he couldn't play for Liverpool when they when they went to play abroad. Mm. Um, that that's that's kind of that's morbo. You know, that's a morbo that I don't fully understand because I don't fully understand that context. But I, I certainly understand the Spanish one, even though I'm a, also an outsider, as it were. I'm, I'm a foreigner, but in some ways, you know, you. Because I'm a foreigner living here, I've been here 30 years now. I, I can also sometimes see it more more clearly than than those who are totally immersed in it. You know, so that's an interesting side to it. Well, it may, it may be that certain people are just desensitized to it because they're just part yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, but 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 they all they all understand the word perfectly, and you know, they might not be able to explain it to you. You know, well, you know, how do you define more? But you ask a Spanish person to define that, they might not be able to do it, but they know exactly what it means. Well, it was like. We we witnessed firsthand Mor- Morbo um, with the whole Ro- River Boca thing. Like we always knew it was a heater yeah. rivalry. Like what, and maybe maybe it's nothing new in a sense um, that this was like has been heated for a long time. But 
now with the so- social media and giving us like almost like we were inside of it, like all the the ridiculous um, the flares and the and the smoke bombs and 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 real life, you know, like just just crazy stuff. Like the the video <laughs> of the the mother taping the flares to her daughter's under undershirt. Yeah. Um, it, it, some of it was surreal and like, but like that was a huge example that you know we saw firsthand too. I wonder, Phil. Like, um, I think first of all, I think it's clear that like I think when you think of Morbo in Spain, it's it's El Clasico. Like that's the most obvious example, you know, because it goes back, you know, when they were in the league together, just just like two or three teams, and then the La Liga actually kickstarted in nineteen twenty eight. Then you actually have like starting to see like officially tracked matches of you know Barca versus Espanyol, Barca Madrid, Madrid Atletico, which is like Madrid Atletico has like a very fascinating backstory as well, like as to why they became the enemies they became, like the kind of like the politically driven, the different the different socioeconomic classes, and kind of and and also Franco playing his part, like the divide among the two was crazy. Yeah, I'm curious to know. When you were writing that book, what was like the most shocking thing you learned? Yeah, that's a good question. I well, I, I you're quite right about the Barça Madrid thing, and I, I think that uh, when you when you compare Boca and River, it's a very good uh, example of Morbo. But it's, it's slightly different. I think that the Barça Madrid Morbo is deeper than the Boca River one because although. You know, explicitly and superficially, what you see, as you say, it's difficult to understand as an outsider. Uh, it's a particularly Argentinian thing, you know. Um, but the Boca River thing is uh, comes from a originally from a uh, when the two the two sides separated and then became identified with two different social demographics in Buenos Aires. Whether those social demographics really exist anymore or not doesn't matter, does it? You know, they, <laughs> that that it's just kind of gone mad, you know, and so no one can really explain it rationally. But if you look at the Barça Madrid thing, it's it's uh, it's very clear, isn't it? And you asked me what shocked me the most. Well, I mean, I, I didn't know about uh, I knew about Barça Madrid, of course. I knew about the rivalry when I arrived here. I mean, most people do, but I I had no idea about the you know the assassination. The, um, the assassination, the murder of um, Sunyon, for example. I didn't know about the uh, the fact that a, you know a Barcelona president had been shot by the uh, by the Falans. You know that was that was pretty heavy stuff. Uh, I mean, no one knows exactly what why it happened, but they must have been pretty sure who they were shooting. You know, <laughs> so when you when you look at that in the context of you know of, of, of just the word rivalry, you know, you, you can you can see what you're what you're getting into. Uh, and uh, I tried to suggest in the book that uh, the Morbo had been building up anyway before the uh, before the Civil War. But the Civil War is, is very shocking in itself in Spain. It's really one of the most you know violent conflagrations in a in a in a in a, in a, in a single country that's taken that's taken place in a in the twentieth century really. I mean, extraordinary cruelty. You know, I've been reading Paul Preston's book about it recently. It really is awful. You, know? you just Hope beyond hope that, that that sort of thing would never happen again. But when you when you read about the cruelty and extraordinary on both sides, of course, you, you think, well, God's truth, you know, no wonder, no wonder the Barça Madrid thing's never really going to be sorted out because it's that, it's that that, that, that gets reflected in a sense in the in the um, 
in the uh, in the Morbo, and, and, and the Morbo is getting worse actually between Basra and Madrid. It's getting worse because of the whole Catalan independence movement. You know, the Basque thing, the Basque thing. I live in the Basque country. The Basque thing has been going on for a long time, and most people know about that. But the, there's been a sea change in the whole Catalan thing in the last two years, and, and now it's getting edgy. It's getting edgy. The Catalans were very clever before; they never got violent, but now the but now there's a sense of possible violence and. Don't want to get into that too much. Whether that's being encouraged by certain people or not, but but uh, you you can see now you go back to that that the murder of um, the Barcelona president, you know, the beginning of the civil war, and then you you come to the present day and you see the you know the clear tension between the, the two sides. It's real, you know, it's real. It's, it's a real thing, and uh, all, all the suggestions also that Tennis was making the the president about well, you know, Barcelona. The Catalans can't become independent because Barcelona won't be able to play in La Liga anymore. You know, using that as a kind of threat—it's an extraordinary thing, and uh, it's going to go on and on. And as I say, it's getting—in a sense—it's getting richer. I—I I mean, like when you mentioned earlier in the podcast that you know how that, like those rivalries, uh, the, the Morbo still exists from when the time you wrote the book. And, like it's to to me, it's almost clear that it's going to exist for a long time. If like. As you said, it's getting worse. I think it's also interesting that, like, um, not only does it, can it get worse, but also like rivalries can can start. Like, I was looking at, I would say, I, first of all, I don't even know if you would agree, but to me, the top four are probably Real, Barça, Barça, Madrid, Barça, Espanyol, and then Sevilla, Betis. Yeah, is that about right? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, like well, uh, Deport Deport Celta is correct. Deport Celta is a good one. Deport Celta is a good one. Yeah. Bilbao Sociedad maybe. Um. Yeah, but it's quite. It's, it's quite. Not, it's end, not. Lo- it's not. Yeah. In the end, it's quite friendly. There's no violence. Um. I think like the Sevilla one was really interesting to me because they were connected at one point. Like. Because yes. because then you had the branch off from the the Sevilla FC division, like they divided, and then Real Betis was formed. Yeah. And and then now and then during the Second World War, um, Sevilla basically rise and kind of um, become the team, and and then and then Betis kind of go into this almost a spiral, and they 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 don't they don't they're not as relevant at that point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, then you have these two these two clubs who were once almost one. Now is one of the most fun and heated rivalries. I would I would say in Europe, not just Spain. Like it's really like it's something special. Like that that rivalry. Yeah. Well, that's right. Uh, I mean, the Seville Betis schism, if you like, is quite similar to the the origins of the Boca River thing, and so. You know, it's the same thing. You you kind of look at Seville and Betis, the, the occasional game you get in the occasional years where there's there's pretty nasty violence. You, you know, WTF? You know, what's going on there? You know, what what this is the, this is the same city? You know, uh, and it's kind of weird. Um, that's why I wrote that chapter in Morpho. You know, I called it Five Taxis. That's that's a long story, but uh, but uh, I felt that yeah, that was one I had to get to the bottom of. You know. I, I mean, uh, it was interesting for me, really, when I started Morbo. I mean, I didn't, I didn't volunteer to write the book. I was asked to write it by when Saturday comes, the magazine, who were getting into publishing, you know. So I, 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 I said I would do it, and I said I would wander around Spain for a bit and find out stuff. But I, I, I 
did know certain things. I just wanted to try to confirm them. I, I, it was interesting the reaction to that chapter, and uh, people have still people still write to me about it. You know, but it was a very it was a very kind of black and white reaction to that chapter. And uh, some people liked it, some people didn't. You know, I, I didn't feel I was being lazy by talking to taxi drivers about it because that's the only way you can you can get to the bottom of it. You know, there's no point interviewing the president of Betis and asking him about it because he's just going to give you a you know a kind of I don't know, just his subjective view, and so I thought taxi drivers, taxi drivers are always the best thing to talk about, but, but I didn't I didn't really get to the bottom of it, to be honest with you, and I think that's why some people criticise the chapter, but I, you know, I wasn't trying to write the definitive explanation of Sir Betis, but, but yeah, it's a, it's a good one, and as you say, you know, it, 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 um, it arose from an original, uh, the, the, the two clubs were one, and then broke away because the you know, Seville wouldn't, uh, well, so they say. I mean, it's been disputed by some people. But the fact that they there was a guy from the Gypsy Race who the, who the civil players, the civil directors didn't want to have in their in their team, and so so um, Betis formed this this more you know what seemed to be more like a politically correct kind of you know left wing kind of cool side, and uh, and that's how they identified themselves, and that that that, that still that still takes place. Again, in mobile, I was, I was trying to bust myths as well. I, I, when I went to the area that surrounds Betis's ground, it didn't seem to me like some kind of you know working class place or anything. Whatever working class means nowadays, mm. and that old working, that old social class thing that these teams were built on, and the whole left right thing anyway, has become very skewed. And so, so that's you know I, I was about to say to you that uh, that uh, when you were talking about Mordebol getting worse, I mean perhaps, that, perhaps that's not the right adjective. What, what I said in in Mordebol was that uh, it was a many-headed monster and that what tended to happen was that it, it, it just kept metamorphosing, you know, that, that, that you know, every single game between Barcelona and Madrid, every single year is slightly different. You know, there's another factor added to the Mordebol. That's what's really fascinating about it. It's never quite the same. The basic Mordebol's there, but something always contributes every single year to every single game between them, if there's just two games a year, let's say. Now, even that year when they had about four or five games in the cup, you remember they they, they kept meeting each other every week. Yeah. <laughs> even then, every game had some kind of different aspect to it, and so that, that's what kind of fascinated me about it. Now, I think that's it's a development, it's an organic sort of thing. Yeah, there's a there's a new element each time, and like mm. sometimes like each ten minutes, and like yeah, and so there is that political factor, but then there's also like all these storylines that emerge from the political that have nothing to do with politics, like you know. During the whole Ronaldo Messi era, that was, I mean, Messi's still around, but, um, and Ronaldo's moved on to Juve, but during that whole era, there was just so many things. And, and whether you want to throw in Mourinho, and, and this is like like a decade removed, over a decade removed from Figo now, at that, at that point when Mourinho, you know, was, was at his peak with Madrid. And like still so many things, like were just lingering and, and, and added and so many layers and different storylines that have nothing to do with politics that just emerge from this initial um, political thing. I was in preparation for this. Yeah, yeah please go ahead. No, 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 no well, I was, I was. Well, I was going to say in, in preparation for this podcast, I was actually reading an article you wrote from 2002 and um, about Morbo and, and, and for the guardian and, you mentioned something interesting that Barcelona have four Morbo games a year, Real Madrid twice and Espanyol twice. Yeah. And um, and I th- and I thought to myself, like that year of the Tamudaso, yeah. 
when when Raul Tamudo scores that goal against Barcelona, the, literally almost the exact same second that Ruud van Nistelrooy scores in Zaragoza. Yes. And Real Madrid go on to win the league, and and because of Tamudo, Barcelona don't. I thought to myself that may have been the worst day in Barcelona history. Like, like it's it's your two rivals almost like teaming up together, and it's kind of interesting how like one team has having two more woes almost means like the other two are like these like unwritten allies that they kind of just resonate with each other. Yeah. They resonate with each other or they, they kind of bounce off each other. Yeah, maybe, yeah. I don't know what the right word is, but it's almost like this. It's almost... I just remember that during that... After that Tamura goal, he will, he became immortal in with Real Madrid fans. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He came to play here and he actually came to Real Sociedad to play for a couple of seasons. He just lived across the road from me. It's quite interesting. Um, in, in the latter point of his career. Yeah, yeah, that, that time, well, that's all, yeah, I remember that, yeah. And that's okay, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the kind of thing that then becomes part of the sort of folklore of the, I mean, the, you know, there's the basis of the Morbo, if you like, the basic uh, building blocks of the Morbo. Then there's, as you say, you know, there's the, there's the way that it, it can change every year and then you also get those events like the Tamil Dafo, if you like, that that's a, that just sort of uh become become part of the whole law. You know, I, I mean the, the Sid Lowe's book about Sid Lowe's book well that he did a couple of years ago is very detailed, you know, it's more detailed than Morbo in a way, but it's about one thing. It's it's just about the <laughs> I mean it, 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 was it um what do you call it? Lo- love and loathing in um, fear and loathing in La Liga. Fear and, fear and loathing in La Liga. Yeah, that's a, it's a great, it's a great title, and that's that's that pretty much sums it up in some way. There is there is a loathing, you know, and uh, Tamudo, as you say, becomes one of the the loathed figures. Figo, of course, being another classic example, <laughs> and it's wonderful stuff, you know, it's wonderful stuff. Uh, as long as it doesn't go too far, you know, as long as these people don't get, you know, actually spat upon or hit or anything you know that the the kind of boca river thing uh, the boca river thing is uh, is i was going to say is 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 otra cosa as the spanish say it's a, a different kind of level almost but it's but i still think that the the morbo in spain goes deeper you know i i think merely for historical reasons it's a different sort of morbo it's it's a more complete kind of morbo if you like <laughs> i so i wanted to also go back to sociedad bilbao because you you are very well connected with Sociedad. I mean, you've been living there for a long time. Um, and the Sociedad Bilbao thing is interesting to me only because I'm I'm curious to know. Do you think? Do you think there is a feeling among Sociedad that, as because they they used to have the policy of of not signing, of you know only signing Basque players. And Bilbao yeah. have since almost expanded, you know, like what their definition of that policy was, and and how they, you know, they 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 go about they go about it. Do you get the sense at all that in Sociedad, whether it's the fans, it's the club, that they feel like, oh, Bilbao have this are also Basque, but they are somehow maybe like morally on this pedestal that they think they are because we sign foreign players and they don't. Oh, completely, completely. I mean, it's interesting that you mentioned The Guardian. I'm, I'm very impressed you found an article from 2002. I can't even remember writing that. Game, but <laughs> it must have been me, I guess. 
Yeah, very impressive. Well, t- now talking to the Guardian, I, I've got a, uh, an ag- a loose agreement to, to write a, a piece about this, and uh, because the um, there was a piece, uh, I think in October, November, again, doing the usual stuff about Athletic, you know, about how wonderful it is, and now it's the only club in the entire cosmos that still uh, employs a local. They use the word local players, etc., etc., mm-hmm. and and I, I don't want to sound too much like a resentful Real Sociedad supporter, but you know I, I think that the the other case needs needs to be put more clearly, and, uh, and uh, it hasn't been done. It hasn't been done. So so the Guardian are going to allow me to do this, but they haven't confirmed when. I think they're just letting the dust settle a little bit on that previous article. But yeah, of course the um, the uh, Real Sociedad also had that had a Basconi policy, and uh, which was you know. We, both teams could run that, I suppose, in, in the past. It was, you know, I'm, I'm not suggesting it's the policy's wrong in any way, but it, but in a sense, uh, it's much more difficult to to uh, put it into effect uh, in 2019 mm-hmm. for, for very obvious reasons, because the, the game has changed. The money the money that's coming to the game has changed vastly and, uh, in, 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 in Europe in general, but particularly in La Liga and in the Premier League. And uh, so, athletic, you know, uh, athletic's problem at the moment is they've got lots of money and no, nobody, and nobody to spend it on. You know, uh, they've got a lot of money for Kiparati um, and and, and uh, they 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 got a lot of money for La Porte. Yeah. So they, they 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 haven't got anyone to spend it on, and right. this is a problem. And so, but the other problem, uh, Kian, is that, uh, that people forget about is that there are other teams in the Basque Country. There's Rasul Vidal, there's Eibar, <laughs> there's Alaves, and mm-hmm. sometimes you also that complicate the fact that by having Osasuna, they just happen to be in the second division now, but they're still there. I mean, they're not officially in the Basque Country, but they are in the Uscaleria. The Basques define the Basque Country as, as that place in which Basque is spoken, Uscaleria. And, uh, of course, that Pamplona comes into that, although they're in Navarre, politically speaking. But of course, uh, Athletic and Real are quite happy to have players from Navarra playing for them because of this this interesting concept of, of what constitutes a Basque, and I, I accept it totally. I think it's a, it's a great idea. However, however, you know, Athletic can't just go around saying that you know we have this philosophy of only playing of only having Basque players when that philosophy now requires them to basically go around robbing from the uh, the youth systems of the other teams and it just doesn't make any sense if you if you talk to a well not perhaps not a bar so much but if you talk to Real Sociedad if you talk to Osasuna and if you talk to Alaves they all say the same they say well yeah but what about us you know yeah. what, what, I mean Alaves is a bit more complicated because it's a bit more Vitoria is more more of a Spanish city if you like in the Basque country it's not a particularly Basque speaking city there I mean there are many Basque, many Basques there who, who call themselves Basque, but it's more, it's a more Spanish-tinged kind of city, if you like. Uh, but it, but you know, the principle remains the same. Uh, Athletic had no right to simply feel that they are the, you know, the the, the bee's knees, you know, anymore. And they're, they're, so for me, the policy is is unsustainable because it, it's a lack of respect towards the youth policies of teams who are financially still, you know, in the shadow, if you like, of uh, of Athletic's power. And so it just isn't acceptable anymore. And, and I, I'm one of the few people who, who you know, goes onto social media and says this. And of course, I get I get an avalanche of, of insults from the, from the athletic supporters. But I I'm not backing down because I think it's true. And it's not only it's not just me saying it. It's it's anybody who anybody who doesn't support athletic in the basketball will say the same. 
Uh, and uh, so, yeah, what you said before is quite right. And it, it's a problem. And uh, uh, Athletic need to need to sort it, I think. Uh, I'm not quite sure how they're going to sort it, but, but it's certainly an issue. And I, I've got every intention of articulating it in this Guardian article. Well, I think... So we've been asked a question on uh, our Spanish football podcast, Shooters of Tacticas, before. Um, someone asked... Do you think if Bilbao would get relegated this season, which is not inconceivable, mm. that they their reaction would be to get rid of the policy? And my answer was no, because I think that would even just make them look almost worse because it's like, oh, this is in reaction to something. And that, that that's how I think they would look at it. Do you think that they would be their arm would be twisted at all in that situation? There was a poll done a couple of years ago, Gian, um about this. Uh, among athletic fans and <laughs> the majority, I think, I can't remember what the questions were exactly, but the majority opinion was, you know, uh, we, we would rather play in the third division with Basque players than change our policy. Yeah. And, and that's very admirable. You know, I'm, I'm not attacking, you know, I don't, I don't want to go down here on record as attacking athletic. I, th- I think the whole thing's fantastic. You know, sure. it, and it's amazing. It's amazing that where they are, and they've got that philosophy, even though I've got my doubts about how they go about it. I still think it's a brilliant idea, you know, and, uh, and it's amazing that they maintain and sustain it. But uh, but uh, I think that what those supporters said in that poll, uh, they might think twice about it if they really did go down. And as you say, you know, I mean, they've just climbed out the bottom three. There hasn't been any talk about it. I really don't know. I think they would have to go down in order for you to, to see whether they would... They would change the policy. They might adjust the policy to some extent. They might. They, you know, they, they have been making adjustments to the policy over the years anyway. You know, by um, getting players from France who don't sort of seem to me to be exactly what you would call in the Basque region uh, or Basque speakers, who are pretty much right on the edge. You know, and even players from you know when you talk about Navarra as well, you know, players like Ismael Saith, for example, who was from you know. Mm. Right down the south of uh, um, uh, of Navarra, which is very Spanish speaking, the northern Navarra is very Basque. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't dispute that at all. I mean, Pamplona itself is a slightly schizo city; it's a bit Spanish Basque. You're not quite sure what you're going to encounter there. But so they they play around with this. But my my main argument is that, that you can't continue to treat other teams canteras. They call it the cantera, the quarry. You can't. You can't. Um, Continue to treat those uh, those teams as as being providers, if you like, the providers of athletic. It's just it's just <laughs> you can't sustain that. I just I just can't see it. just can't see it at all. It just doesn't work for me. So I know it's it can be difficult to kind of encompass a a, a concept like Morbo or like or the book you wrote in a podcast. I think we were at about forty minutes total ish, um, but. At any rate, like I, I really thank you for your time, Phil. Um, do you do you want to? I know you're writing that article for the Guardian sometime soon. Is yeah. there anything else you'd like to plug for us? You have your weekly columns still at La Liga Fever. Yeah, that that would be that would be nice. Yeah, um, yeah, it would be nice to plug uh, Liga Fever. Yeah, we, Liga Fever. We, yeah, Liga Fever, and um, Eduardo and Alvarez and myself are the two ESPN exile ESPN exiles, if you like it. Uh, writing it, you know, Ed tends to do the what the quiniela on the Friday, or not always, and predicting what's going to happen over the weekend, and then I do a kind of summing up article on a Sunday night, Monday morning, very much in the style that I used to write for 
for ESPN. Sometimes we swap around. We're swapping around this week, for example, because I'm going to Paris on Sunday and Monday to work, and so it's a bit difficult sometimes to to do the, uh, the summing up. So I'm going to do the uh, the Kiniella tomorrow, for example, and Eduardo will do the the uh, the summing up on the weekend. But uh, yeah, yeah, we we seem to be getting quite a lot of traffic, and people seem to like the uh, the kind of two step thing. So you know, the, so um, yeah, I'm quite happy to do it. Uh, it would be it would be strange not to be writing. So, every week, I, I like to write once a week. I don't like to write every day. You know, I think it just dilutes what you're doing. So, the weekly thing suits me fine. Um, I had a I had a great lunch, by the way, with with Ed uh, in last month. Ah, took, I didn't he know. took he took me to a very authentic Spanish restaurant, and it was like in a, phen- a phenomenal experience because it was so authentic that <laughs> every day at three o'clock they play the Spanish national anthem, and everyone sings. <laughs> And and after lunch, they all take out their cards and they play cards until like the rest of the day. And I was like, Ed, do these people have lives? Do they do anything? He's like, No, they just say they, this is all they do. <laughs> and I was like, That was, must be really nice. Um, and then him and I went back to our jobs. We didn't play cards. We we didn't have time to do that. <laughs> so that was in Madrid. That was it in was in Madrid, Madrid, very close yeah. to the Bernabeu. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He knows his, he knows his stuff in Madrid, and he yeah he knows where to take it. Yeah. He yeah. took me out when we went last year to the. Uh, Real Madrid set Real Sociedad game, and um, yeah, we, we we drank rather too much, unfortunately. But, um, <laughs> that was, it was a bit rough the next day, but it was he took me to some fine places. He's actually become a father, uh, which was actually last week. Yes. Oh, he, I didn't know. I should congratulate him. I knew that his wife was pregnant, and at the time he was worried because they had tickets to the uh, River Boca game. And That's right, but his, they went. They, they, went they, did, they did go. Okay. He was worried for her safety because she was eight months <laughs> pregnant or something. <laughs> That's right, man. but they both went because it was fine. It was very brave of her to go. Anyway. That's great. I'll send them a congrats. Yeah. Phil Ball, thank you so much. We'll we'll plug, we'll link Liga Fever in the show notes. People can click on it directly and, and follow your weekly column and also check out Ed's work and and uh, we'll we'll keep an eye out for your for your work for the Guardian uh, on on the, the Basque policy article. It sounds very interesting. Thank you so much, Phil. Oh. No, thank you, thank you. Great, nice to talk to you.